Section 15 of The Visits of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Visits of Elizabeth by Eleanor Glynn. Carriston Towers. 27th October. Dearest Mamma, I shall never again arrive at a place at three o'clock in the afternoon. It is perfectly ghastly. As we drove up to the door, it was pouring with rain. I felt that I should not like anything here. It does look such a large grey pile, and how cold and draughty that immense stone hall must be in winter. There were no nice big sofas about, or palms, or lots of papers and books, nothing but suits of armour and great marble tables, looking like monuments. I was taken down endless passages to the library, and there left such a long time that I had got down an old punch and was looking at it, and trying to warm my feet when Lady Kyrston came in with Alleline. I remember how I hated playing with her years ago. She always patronized me being three years older, and she is just the same now. Only both their backs have got longer and their noses more arched, and they are the image of each other. Adeline seems very suppressed. Lady Kyrston does not. Her face is carved out of stone. They look very well-bred and respectable and badly dressed, Nothing rustled nicely when they walked, and they had not their nails polished or sent on or anything like that. But Lady Kyrston had a splendid row of pearls around her throat, on the top of her rough tweed dress and linen collar. They pronounce their words very distinctly in an elevated kind of way, and you feel as if icicles were trickling down your back, and you can't think of a thing to say. When we had got to the end of your neuralgia and my journey, there was such a pause and I suppose they thought I was an idiot, and were only too glad to get me off to my room, where Adeline took me and left me, hoping I had everything I wanted, and saying that tea was at five in the blue drawing-room. And there I had to stay while Agnes unpacked. It was dull. It is a big room, and the fire had only just been lit. The furniture is colourless and ugly, and although it is all comfortable and correct, there are no books about except Romola and Middlemarch, and some Carlyle and John Stuart Mill, and I did not feel that I could do with any of that just then. So there I sat, twiddling my thumbs for more than an hour, and Agnes did make such a noise, opening and shutting drawers, but at last I remembered a box of caramels in my dressing bag, and it was better after that. Agnes had put out my white cashmere for tea, and at five I started to find my way to the blue drawing-room. The banisters are so broad and slippery, they're very things for sliding on. I feel as if I should start down them one day, just to astonish Adeline. Only I promised you I would be good. Well, when I got to the drawing-room, the party, about twelve, had assembled. The old earl had been wheeled in from his rooms. He wears a black velvet skull-cap and a stock, but he has a splendid and distinguished old face. If I were he, I would not have such a dull daughter-in-law to live with me as Lady Carriston is, even if my son was dead. The boy, Charlie Carriston, was there too. He does look like a goose. He is like those pictures in the punch that I was looking at, where the family is so old that their chins and foreheads have gone. He is awfully afraid of his mother. There were two or three elderly pepper and salt men, and that trench cousin, who is a very high church curate. You know Aunt Mary told us about him. And there are Sir Samuel and Lady Garnons, with an old maid daughter, and Adeline's German governess, 
who stayed on as companion and helped to pour out the tea. The conversation was subdued, about politics and cabinet ministers and pheasants and foxes and things of that kind, and no one said anything that meant anything else, as they did at Naseby, or were witty like they were at Tournelle, and the German governor said ah to everything, and Lady Garner and Miss Garner knitted all the time, which gave their voices the sound of one, two, three when they spoke, although they did not really count. No one had on tea gowns, just a Sunday sort of clothes. I don't know how we should have got through tea if the coffee cream cakes had not been so good. The old earl called me to him when he had finished, and talked so beautifully to me. He paid me such grand old-fashioned compliments, and his voice sounds as if he had learnt elocution in his youth. There is not a word of slang or anything modern. One quite understands how he was able to wake up the House of Lords before his legs gave way. It seems sad that such a ninny as Charlie should succeed him. I feel proud of being related to him, but I shall never think of Lady Carriston except as a distant cousin. Both Charlie and Adeline are so afraid of her that they hardly speak. I shan't waste any of my best frocks here, so I made Agnes put me on the old blue silk for the evening. She was disgusted. At dinner I sat between Charlie and one of the pepper and salts. He is an MP. They are going to shoot partridges tomorrow, and I don't know what we shall do, as there has been no suggestion of our going out to lunch. After dinner we sat in the yellow drawing-room. Lady Carriston and Lady Garnons talked in quite an animated way together about using their personal influence to suppress all signs of Romanism in the services of the church. They seemed to think they would have no difficulty in stopping it. They are both low church, Miss Garnons told me, but she herself held quite different views. Then she asked me if I did not think the Reverend Ernest Trench had a soulful face, so pure and abstracted that merely looking at him gave thoughts of a higher life. I said no. He reminded me of a white ferret we had once, and I hated curates. She looked perfectly sick at me, and did not take the trouble to talk any more, but joined Adeline, who had been winding silk with Fraulein Straubaum for a tie she is knitting. So I tried to read the contemporary review, but I could not help hearing Lady Carriston telling Lady Garnons that she had always brought up Adeline and Charlie so carefully that she knew their inmost thoughts. She did not mention Cyril, who is still at Eton. Yes, I assure you, Georgina, she said. My dear children have never had a secret from me in their innocent lives. When the men came in from the dining room, one of the old fellows came and talked to me, and I discovered he is the Duke of Lancashire. He is ordinary looking, and his shirts fit so badly, that nasty sticking out look at the sides, and not enough starch. I would not have shirts that did not fit if I were a duke, would you? They're all staying here for the conservative meeting tomorrow evening at Bar Church. These three pepper and salts are shining lights in this county, I have gathered. Lady Carriston seems very well informed on every subject. It does not matter if she is talking to Mr. Hasselton or Sir Andrew Merton, the two MPs, or the Duke, who is the MFH, or the curate. She seems to know much more about politics and hunting and religion than they do. It is no wonder she can see her children's thoughts. At half past ten we all said good night. The dear old Earl does not come in from the dining room. He is wheeled straight to his rooms, so I did not see him. Miss Garnons and Adeline both looked as if they could hardly bear to part with their curates, and finally we got upstairs, and now I must go to bed. Best love from your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. P.S. 
Everything is kept up with great state here. There seems to be a footman behind everyone's chair at dinner. Cariston Towers, 28th October Dearest Mamma, I was so afraid of being late for breakfast this morning that I was down quite ten minutes too soon, and when I got into the breakfast room I found Charlie alone, mixing himself a brandy cocktail. He wanted to kiss me, because he said we were cousins, but I did not like the smell of the brandy, so I would not let him. He made me promise that I would come out with him after breakfast, before they started to shoot, to look at his horses. Then we heard someone coming, and he whisked the cocktail glass out of sight in the neatest way possible. At breakfast he just nibbled a bit of toast, and drank a glass of milk, and Lady Carriston kept saying to him, My dear, dear boy, you have no appetite, and he said, no, having to read so hard as he did at night took it away. The Duke seemed a little annoyed that there was no particular chutney in his curried kidneys, which I thought very rude in another person's house, and as it was Friday, the Reverend Mr. Trench refused every dish in a loud voice, and then helped himself to a whole soul at the side table. The food was lovely. Miss Garnons did not eat a thing, and Lady Garnons was not down, nor, of course, the old Earl. After breakfast, we meandered into the hall. Smoking is not allowed anywhere except in the billiard room, which is down yards and yards of passages, so as not to let the smell get into the house. We seemed to be standing about doing nothing, so I said I would go up and get my boots on, or probably there would not be time to go with Charlie to see his horses before they started. You should have seen the family's three faces. Charlie's silly jaw dropped. Adeline's eyebrows run up to her hair almost while Lady Carriston said in an icy voice, We had not thought of visiting the stable so early. Did you ever hear of anything so ridiculous, Mamma? Just as though I had said something improper. I was furious with Charlie. He had not even the pluck to say he had asked me to go. But I paid him out. I just said, I concluded you had consulted Lady Carriston before asking me to go with you. Or oh, naturally, I should not have suggested going to get ready. He did look a stupid thing, and bolted at once. But Lady Carriston saw I was not going to be snobbed, so she became more polite, and presently asked me to come and see the aviary with her. As we walked down the armour gallery, she met a servant with a telegram, and while she stopped to read it, I looked out of one of the windows. The wall is so thick they are all in recesses, and Charlie passed underneath, his head just level with the open part. The moment he saw me, he fished out a scrap of paper from his pocket and pressed it into my hand and said, Don't be a mug this time, and was gone before I could do anything. I did not know what to do with the paper, so I had to slip it up my sleeve, as with these skirts one has in a pocket, and I did feel so mad at having done a thing in that underhand way. The aviary is such a wonderful place, there seems to be birds of every kind, and the parakeets do make such a noise. There are lots of palms here and seats, but it is not just an ideal place to stay and talk in, as every creature screams so that you can hardly hear yourself speak. However, Miss Garnons and Mr. Trench did not seem to think so, as while Lady Carrison stopped to say, Did you see Woodsy Popsy Dixie to some canaries? I turned a corner to see some owls, and there found them holding hands and kissing. The white ferret and Miss Garnons, I mean, of course, not the owls. They must have come in at the other door, and the parrot's noises had prevented them from hearing us coming. You never saw two people so taken aback. They simply jumped away from one another. 
Mr. Dench got crimson up to his white eyelashes and coughed in a nervous way, while poor Miss Garnons at once talked nineteen to the dozen about the darling little owlies, and never let go of my arm until she had got me aside, when she at once began explaining that she hoped I would not misinterpret anything I had seen, that of course it might look odd to one who did not understand the higher life, but there were mysteries connected with her religion, and she hoped I would say nothing about it. I said she did not worry herself. She is quite twenty-eight, you know, Mamma. so I suppose she knows best. But I should hate a religion that obliged me to kiss white ferret curates in a parrot house, shouldn't you? Lady Carriston detests Mr. Trench, but as he is a cousin she has to be fairly civil to him, and they always get on to ecclesiastical subjects and argue when they speak. It is the greatest fun to hear them. They walked on ahead and left me with Miss Garnons until we got back to the hall. By this time the guns had all started, so we saw no more of them. Then Adeline suggested that she and I should bicycle in the park, which has miles of lovely road. She is not allowed out of the gates by herself. So at last I got up to my room, and there, as I was ringing the bells for Agnes, Charlie's piece of paper fell out on the floor. I had forgotten all about it. Wasn't it a mercy it did not drop while I was with Lady Carriston? This was all it was come down to tea half an hour earlier. Shall sham a hurt wrist to be back from shooting in time. Charlie. I could not help laughing, although I was cross at his impertinence, and taking for granted that I would be quite ready to do whatever he wished. I threw it in the fire, and, of course, I shan't go down a moment before five. Adeline has just been in to see why I am so long getting ready. Goodbye, dear Mamma. Love from your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. Carriston Towers, Saturday. Dear Mamma, Oh, what a long day this has been, but I always get so muddled if I don't go straight on that I had better finish telling you about Friday first. Well, while Adeline and I were bicycling, she told me she thought I should grow quite pretty if only my hair was arranged more like hers. She has a jog handle, chignon. And if I had less of that French look. But she supposed I could not help it, having had to spend so much time abroad. She said I should find life was full of temptations if I had not an anchor. I asked her what that was, and she said it was something on which to cast one's soul. I don't see how that could be an anchor, do you, Mamma? Because it is the anchor that gets cast, isn't it? However, she assured me that it was, so I asked her if she had one herself, and she said she had. And it was her great reverence for Mr. Trench, and they were secretly engaged, and she hoped I would not mention it to anybody. And presently, when he joined us, would I mind riding on, as she had so few chances to talk to him? That she would not for the world deceive her mother, but there were mysteries connected with her religion which Lady Carriston could not understand, being only low church. But when they saw a prospect of getting married they would tell her about it. If they did it now, she would persuade the Duke not to give Mr. Trench the Bellastoke living, which he has half promised them, and so make it impossible for them to marry. I asked her if Mr. Trench was Miss Garnon's anchor too, and she seemed quite annoyed, so I suppose their religion has heaps of different mysteries. But I don't see what all that has got to do with telling her mother, do you? And I should rather turn low church than have to kiss Mr. Trench anyway. He came from a side path and joined us, and as soon as I could I left them, but they picked me up again by the inner gate, just as I was going into lunch, after having had a beautiful ride. The park is magnificent. At lunch I sat by the old earl. He said my hair was a sunbeam's home, 
and that my nose was fit for a cameo. He is perfectly charming. Afterwards we went en bloc to the library, and the garlands began to knit again. Nobody says a word about clothes. They talked about the girls' friendly society, and the idiot's asylum, and the flannel union, and the hired education, and whenever Lady Garnons mentions anyone that Lady Carriston does not know all about, she always says, Oh, and who was she? And then, after thoroughly sifting it, if she finds that the person in question does not belong to any of the branches of the family that she is acquainted with, she says, Society is getting very mixed now. Presently about six more people arrived. There seems to be nothing but these ghastly three o'clock trains here. All the new lot were affected by it, just as I was. There were endless pauses. I would much rather scream at Aunt Maria for a whole afternoon than have to spend it with Lady Carriston. I am sure she and Godmamma would be the greatest friends if they could meet. When I got up to my room, I was astonished to find it was so late. I had not even scrambled into my clothes when the clock struck five. I had forgotten all about Charlie and his scrap of paper, but when I got into the blue drawing-room, there he was, with his wrist bandaged up and no signs of tea about. What do you think the horrid boy had done, Mamma? Actually had the big gold clock in my room put on. There were ten chances to one, he said, against my looking at my watch, and he knew I would not come down unless I thought it was five. I was so cross that I wanted to go upstairs again, but he would not let me. He stood in front of the door, and there was no good making a fuss, so I sat down by the fire. He said he had seen last night how struck his grandfather had been with me, and he did want me to get around him, as he had got into an awful mess and had no idea how he was going to get out of it unless I helped him. I said I was sorry, but I really did not see how I could do anything, and that he had better tell his mother, as she adored him. He simply jumped with horror at the idea of telling his mother. Good Lord, he said, the old girl would murder me, which I did not think was very respectful of him. Then he fidgeted, and hummed, and hawed, for such a time that tea had begun to come in before I could understand the least bit what the mess was. But it was something about Cora de la Haye, who dances at the Empire, and a diamond necklace, and how he was madly in love with her, and intended to marry her, but he had lost such a lot of money at Goodwood, that no one knew about, as he was supposed not to have been there, that he could not pay for the necklace unless his grandfather gave him a lump sum to pay his debts at Oxford with and that what he wanted was for me to get round the old earl to give him this money, and then he could pay for a Cora de la Haye's necklace. He showed me her photo, which he keeps in his pocket. It is just like the ones in the shops in the Rue de Rivoli that Mademoiselle never would let me stop and look at in Paris. I am sure Lady Carriston can't have been having second sight into her children's thoughts lately. Just then Lady Garnons and some of the new people came in, and he was obliged to stop. We had a kind of high tea, as the conservative meeting was to be at eight, and it is three quarters of an hour's drive into Barchurch, and there was to be a big supper after. Lady Carriston didn't make such a fuss over Charlie's wrist. She wanted to know was it badly sprained, and did it ache much, and was it swollen, and he had the impudence to let her almost cry over him, and pretended to wince when she touched it. As we were driving into the meeting, he sat next to me in the omnibus, and kept squeezing my arm all the time under the rug, which did annoy me so, that at last I gave his ankle a nasty kick, and then he left off for a while. 
he has not the ways of a gentleman and i think he had better marry his cora and settle down into a class more suited to him than ours but i shan't help him with his grandfather have you ever been to a political meeting dear mamma it is funny all these old gentlemen sit up on a platform and talk such a lot the duke put it in buts and ifs and thats over and over again when he could not think of a word and you weren't a bit the wiser when he had finished except that it was awfully wrong to put up barbed wire but i can't see what that has to do with politics can you one of the pepper and salts did speak nicely and so did one of the new people quite a youngish person but they all had such a lot of words when it would have done just as well if they had simply said that of course our side was the right one because trade was good when we were in and that there are much better people conservatives and radicals anyway no one stays a radical when he gets to be his own father as it would be absurd to cut off one's nose to spite one's face don't you think so mamma so it is nonsense talking so much one or two rude people in the back called out things but no one paid any attention and at last after lots of cheering we got into the omnibus again i was hungry at supper we sat more or less anyhow and i happened to be next to the youngish person who spoke i don't know his name but i know he wasn't any one very grand as lady carriston said before they arrived in the afternoon that things were changing dreadfully that even the conservative party was being invaded by people of no family and she gave him two fingers when she said how you do but if he is nobody i call it very nice of him to be a conservative and then he won't have to change afterwards when he gets high up the old earl asked me what i thought of it all so i told him and he said that it was a great pity they could not have me at the head of affairs and then things would be arranged on a really simple and satisfactory basis after breakfast this morning most of the new people went and the duke and the pepper and salts lady carriston drove lady garlands over to see her idiot asylum they were to lunch near there so we had our food in peace without them and you would not believe the difference there was everyone woke up also samuel garnons who had not spoken once that i heard since i came joked with Fräulein straumbaum charlie had two brandies and sodas instead of his usual glass of milk and adeline and miss garnons were able to gaze at their anchor without fear this afternoon i have been for a ride with charlie and do you know mamma i believe he is trying to make love to me but it is all in such horrid slang that i am not quite sure i must stop now with love your affectionate daughter elizabeth p s sunday i missed the post last night we did spend a boring evening doing nothing not even dummy whist like at Aunt maria's and i was so tired hearing the two old ladies talking over the idiots they had seen at the asylum that i was thankful when half-past ten came as for to-day i am glad it is the last one i shall spend here there is a settled gloom over everything a sort of sunday feeling that makes one eat too much lunch mr trench had been allowed to conduct a service in the chapel this morning and lady carriston kept tapping her foot all the time with annoyance at all his little tricks and once or twice when he was extra go-ahead i heard her murmuring to herself ridiculous and scandalous what will she do when he is her son-in-law adeline and miss garnons knelt whenever they could and as long as they could and took off their gloves and folded their hands i think adeline hates miss garnons because she is allowed to cross herself and of course adeline daren't with her mother there after tea charlie managed to get up quite close to me in a corner and he said in a low voice that i was a stunner 
and that if I would just give him the tip, he'd chuck Cora tomorrow, and that I could give her fits. And if that is an English proposal, Mamma, I would much rather have the Vicomtes or the Marquises. We are coming by the evening train tomorrow, so till then, goodbye. Your affectionate daughter, Elizabeth. End of section 15